Well, good morning, beloved. Tuesday, what are we on? Episode 035. We made it to over 30. Very chilly morning on the homestead. Woke up to 27 degrees and all icy. So the sweet loaf is a very energetic child, and she basically burned through a trampoline last year. Uh, so we had a new one set up. So she woke up this morning to a brand new trampoline covered in ice and snow, and she was out there at uh, 7 o'clock jumping on it. <laughs> so uh, I wanted to start off the show. Uh, man, the mailman showed up yesterday and brought us a lot of cool stuff. Now, for you members, I just put in a can, a video just for you guys, covering all of the components of our go to war AR build. Uh, all the stuff from Arrow came in, we're just waiting on the triggers. So I went over everything in detail. There was a lot of interest, those of you who were wanting to use um, the components that I'd spec'd out for myself um, for the top of the line, best of the best at a budget price, which was not easy to do, but I had a lot of time on my hands and so I think I got it done. So I've got that in the can. I will have that uploaded for you guys today. Uh, so look forward to that. Couple shout outs. Man, we got some cool boxes in addition to the Aero stuff. I'm not gonna open that up yet. That's for members only, but I do have some things to share with the rest of you. Now there are three things, three things that professional homeowners never do. And I broke one of those rules last week and well, I have a remedy for it. You never leave the house without a handkerchief, belt, pocket knife on your person. You never hold your wife's bag and you never drink out of a straw, right? So my water bottle, which I've had for a long time, you know, the old uh, hydro flask here, you know, I, I'm, I'm high speed and I don't have time, all the time it takes to take a cap off of a bottle and take a drink, so I end up not drinking. So I thought in my infinite wisdom, I would get this one with the flip up top and, uh, and that way I could just grab it and get a drink of water, which has a straw that goes down to the bottom. Well, when I saw myself on camera, what a fool I look like, uh, sucking on that thing like some sort of a child, uh, well, I, anyway, there's been a solution. Our friend Josh C. sent me a proper wa water bottle. Shout out to Josh C. He realized the errors of my way and corrected it and sent me this beautiful Arctic RTIC. R RTIC uh, is like a, uh, is a budget, it's basically a budget Yeti. What happened was there was a bit of a rube between uh, a couple guys that both worked at Yeti, you know, the Yeti that makes the nice coolers we all like and the tumblers and all that at, an, at a ridiculous price. There was some sort of an issue and they parted ways and Arctic was started, RTIC. So you basically get the exact same thing at half the price. So I, I'm a big fan, I have a lot of their stuff, but check that out, how cool is that? Double insulated stainless steel, you, I would not recommend drinking out of plastic, beloved. You know, all of the talk we've had about uh, in the news about the, that terrible, terrible chemical spill from that, uh, what is that, polyvinyl chloride or whatever that horrible stuff is. Stuff to use, use to make PVC pipes and such, right? I mean, it, just, it lasts forever. It doesn't break down. It doesn't go away. A lot of, you know... Uh, I think the more we can limit ourselves to that, and it's hard to get away from it entirely. You know, one thing that I've been concerned about is, you know, that's basically that, that chemical and chemicals like it. I'm not a scientist in all this, but I understand that, you know, all of that, it goes into the making of our water pipes. CPVC, PVC, I imagine the same thing or something similar goes into the, uh, the PEX pipe that most of the new houses are made with. And I wonder sometimes the health benefits of that. You know, that plastic, and the chemicals and such, they can't help but leach into that water. 
And uh, you know, again, is there an effect? I, I just I don't know. But I think the more that we can limit our exposure to these things, where maybe the science is not quite out on it yet, I think the better. If we can eat out of cast iron, stainless steel, have that sort of thing. If you have an option, I think you should go that route. Now, there's not always an option. Sometimes you're you need a drink of water and you got to stop at the convenience store and grab a plastic bottle of water. I, I'm not talking about that, but if, just by and large. And I've, you know, I've, I've also been thinking, you know, we're getting in the process of building, building the house. You know, is that something the guy wants to consider? Should we consider? It's going to be very tempting to use the PEX pipe and the plastic pipe. You know, all that stuff's very affordable, but would it not be better to use copper? I don't know. The verdict is still out on that. But this is uh, an upgrade. So instead of looking like a, a child sucking off my old one, now I have a proper flip cap. Look at that. Now I can enjoy mountain water uh, like a man and, and not look like a child. So shout out to Josh C. for that. And thank you. Put my, even put my avatar on there, which was kind of cool. Also, one more thing for mail time is we... Uh, got a really really good package and the time was appropriate from uh, one of my subscribers by the name of Austin. And Austin works for a company that's importing a bunch of really stu cool stuff uh, from Israel from Fab Defense which I've never heard of before. Now you guys know that Jack and I are, are building, I'm building his own rifle and he's gonna do everything with me. I got two, you know, two of everything. I'll do one for myself and, and then we'll do it side by side so that he can understand it and knows how it works and kind of pick some of the components. So this was really cool because a lot of these things will be able to be useful and I had never seen them before, but a couple in particular that stood out to me that I thought was really innovative that I didn't know was out there, maybe you guys didn't either, uh, was this right here. So Fab Defense, right here, Fab Defense. And I'm not affiliated with them at all. They just sent some really nice stuff that I hadn't seen before. I'm familiar with all of the normal brands, Magpul and all that stuff, but I'd never heard of this, and the quality is very, very good. I don't know what the price point is. You go look, at your, look it up yourself. But this one in particular was very cool. Check this out. This is a, a stock, a sliding stock, six, six position, you know, for a six-position tube and a stand, standard, standard AR. Do you notice anything different about this? It's got a 10 round magazine. Right there with a latch. A 10 round magazine that stores right in the, in the buttstock. That's pretty cool, huh? So this is gonna be fit on your normal carbine. You know, it slides in and out. We're all familiar with that. But I thought that was kind of a cool deal. So he sent a couple of these, so kind of just a standard one. And this one with the with a little extra buttstock in it. Like that, that's, that's really cool. If you're gonna have kind of a, a truck gun or a beside the bed type, type of gun uh, and, and uh, you wanna have, you don't wanna necessarily carry a bunch of extra stuff around just to have a little backup. If you were to go dry, uh, I thought that that was a very nice option. Isn't that cool? I'd never seen a, a 10 round magazine for a 5.56. So that was kind of neat. And also, he sent some cool tri some bipods. I keep calling them tripods. Some bipods right here. They even say they're awesome. And these are very well made. Now, I have three bipods. I, my, my granddad and I, when the first Harris pods came out, you know, the classic ones, you probably guys probably have some of them, the, the, the metal ones with little rubber feet on them. When those first came out, uh, it surprised me that my granddad, he showed up with one on his rifle. 
You know, he was not a person, uh, he was not the type of guy to adopt, to be an early adopter of gadgetry and things like that. <clears throat> he was, um, he stuck with the classics. And when I saw that on there, I thought, boy, that's very unusual. He was an extraordinary shot. He was one of the most, he was the, the finest marksman I've never known. Incredibly talented, incredibly gifted. Funny story, he told me that when he was drafted, see, was he drafted? Yeah, he was drafted into World War II, my, my grandfather was a, was a very strong man of faith, very devout Christian. And he, liter he let, read the Bible literally when it said, thou shalt not kill. When he read the commandment, he took that literally and said uh, he, he was against it. So when they drafted him and he went in, he said, I'll, I'll, I'm happy to do anything, uh, but I'm not going to kill anyone. It goes against my faith. And they gave him quite a hard time about that, but ultimately he went in as a non-combatant and they made him a medic with the Air Corps. He told me that and he loved to shoot. He loved guns and, and he was, you know, when you're really good at something, you always enjoy doing it. And, and he said when they were going through basic training and they put him on the rifle range and they're teaching everyone to shoot, he was uh, just extraordinarily gifted because he grew, grew up hunting and uh, he, he stood out immediately and, and they started making comments. Oh, you're quite, quite good at this. You'll be a good, you know, you'll be a good soldier. And he said, uh, he goes, I knew where this was going and uh, it was going to be even more difficulty for me. And so he intentionally started missing and flubbed up his score so that to, not to draw attention to himself. But uh, he was, uh, but he showed up with one of those bipods on his hunting rifle and I'd never seen that before ever. It was very unusual. It's not that uncommon now uh, but he knew the benefit of it and of course I wanted to be just like him and I showed up the next year uh, with one myself. Uh, and one time the biggest elk I ever got uh, was a direct re result of that. It was a difficult shot and I remember I flipped those things down and went prone and pulled up on that and had a nice solid rest and I don't think I would have been able to get it without that. So I've always been a big fan of it. And I, I actually run one on my Mark 18 sometimes. When I was shooting on my range back out at the old homestead, um, I would always use it. It's a, it's a huge advantage. So I was, that was kind of cool. So he sent me two of these. And these are very nice. All metal, very well made, and some nice features. Look at that. Isn't that cool? So there's one for Picatinny, and there's one for M-Lock. So we haven't chosen what uppers, what Jack, what the upper he's going to choose, what handguard and all that stuff. But uh, I, of course, will go with quad rail, I imagine, because I like that. Uh, so there's one for old, both of us. So I appreciate that. So thank you, uh, Austin, Austin, for sending all that cool stuff. One other thing, it's kind of nice. You know, you guys know I kind of I like precision, precision rifle, long range stuff. And there's this company. Uh, this is also from Austin out of uh, Norway that makes uh, really high-end nice things for precision rifle shooters and this one this one really stood out to me here so this is a kind of a placard a card and when you open it up check this out this is super cool so you can take this off this is where you you put your dope cards in so your dope cards are you know what ranges and, and what holds and how many clicks on your optic, you know, once you dial it all in so that when you range something, if you say, okay, I know it's going to be 650 yards, you can check your dope because you've already determined this. And so this is uh, for that. Uh, so that sticks on here, but look what's inside. You got your uh, holders for your shell cartridges, your cartridges there. 
and these can come off. Of course, they've got loops on them. So you could take these off and you could stick them right on the side if you had a piece of Velcro on the side of your stock. But I thought that was kind of neat. And uh, even a little double there for two extra. And then this thing folds up into a little triangle. So you, as you're laying there, you can sit it right there and, and have your dope card. So you don't have to keep get coming up off the scope to make your adjustments. And these are made in Norway. Really, really nice and a nice bag, um, stabilizing bag for under your stock. So I appreciate that, Austin, for sending those nice things out. That was, <clears throat> that was really fun to open all that up and it's going to be very helpful uh, for our builds that we're doing, Jack and I. So a lot of those things we'll be able to use and save us, save us some money. So I appreciate that. All right, let's jump in and see if we have a comment or two. We got a comment. We got a super chat from Mr. Austin Fitterer. Shout out to you, Austin. And Austin writes, uh, what is the first step in going from suburban living to rural living? Uh, leaving King County for Republic Kettle Falls, uh, looking for your guidance. You know, the first thing I think and the most difficult obstacle for guys that want to make this move. Let's say that you're, you're in an urban area. <clears throat> you've got a job there, uh, you've, you're established, you know how everything works, but you see, you just see the violence increasing and you realize, especially if you have kids, a lot of folks, if you have kids, you're waking up to this. What's happening to the public schools, the indoctrination that's going on, they're not sharing your values. There's just a lot of reasons we don't need to go into all of them as to why a guy needs to get out. The big obstacle is how are you going to make a living? How are you going to make a living? That's, that's the big, big thing. There's a lot of opportunities in the city. If you lose your job, you, know, you can just go down the road and you can just get another one. There's, or you can even get into another field. And it's a, a good time for workers right now. If you have a marketable skill, uh, you can do really well right now. Companies are, are just dying for good quality people, like people that are checking out of the, out of the market. And you know this, I've been thinking a lot about, how, you know, you keep hearing from my generation and the boomers and such about how lazy the millennials are and how lazy the Zoomers are and how they don't want to work and they don't want to have this work ethic and they don't share our values and such. And I, you know, I thought that for a little while as well, but then I realized, you know what, there's more to life than just working yourself to the bone. And they're, they're smart enough where they're, they're coming into the workforce now and they're starting to realize, you know what, here I'm looking at my grandfather who is, you know, 70 and he's still working. He's still got credit card debt, you know, still doing all this, trying to maintain this ridiculous lifestyle. And I don't want that. I don't want to go and just be a company man. I don't want to live in a culture that, that determines my value by how many hours I put in in the week. And that, that mentality, and I bought into that as well. I thought that there was nobility in being a worker, a digger, or a guy that was willing to work harder and, and to do more than the other guy and put in 80 hours a week. And, you know, guys willing to do that. And everyone, if you do that, everyone will overlook all of your faults and stuff. Well, at least he's a good worker. At least he's a good provider. And I'm talking about men here. Well, is there more to life than that? You know, look at my dad, for example. My dad was a worker like that, did the work of three men, you know, all the way up into his, you know, to his mid-40s or so. So destroyed himself that he wasn't able to do anything or to enjoy his kids the rest of his life. You know, all beat up and worn out, you know, used up. And Jack's generation, you know, the, the Zoomers, they're quite interesting. They're, I don't think they're lazy at all. 
I think that they are looking at us and looking at our lives and how it turned out, and they're rejecting it. Like, you know what, I, I don't, I don't want to do that. Uh, there's more to life than just putting in that time, putting in 60, 70 hours a week, you know, and, and for what? Inflation's running away. They, everything's getting more expensive. You can't go, you can't afford health care. You can't afford to go to college. You can't afford to buy a house. So what's the point? So you might as well just, you know, just, so I, I don't know, you know, it, it's a great awakening. I don't know where it's going, um, but I would give them a little bit of grace. There are some that are lazy and entitled. I get all of that, but there's a lot of them that just don't want what we had. And, you know, if I were to look back and being able to do it again, would I spend so much time grinding? Would I have used up the best years of my life just working um, 12, 14, 16 hours a day, you know? That's what it took to get where I'm at here now. Is it worth it? I don't think so. Yeah, it's fun to have toys and nice things and live to work, live and be able to do what you want to do. And that, that is a benefit of all of that, but it came at a great cost. You know, it came at a great cost. You know, would it have been better for, for me when, my, when Jack was a boy rather than just putting in 14 hours a day to have bought a sailboat? and to travel around the world um, and or to move to a foreign country or to move to Sweden and had those experiences those memories rather than just being behind the computer selling Jeep parts and doing the things that I did for so many years you know so so I don't, I'm getting off on a tangent here but to answer your question the number one thing you have to figure out is that's going to be more difficult is when you move to these rural locations there are going to be less opportunities if you are um, a, an hourly guy if you're if you're a, a time clock puncher so understand that so before you make the leap before you move have a real solid plan what am I going to do now that's the bad news the good news is that there's never been more opportunity in the history of man than there is now with the advent of the internet the internet social media you know, just a perfect example I was thinking about I've been thinking about putting a, a red dot on my G19X. And I'm, I'm kind of old school, man. I'm really reluctant to go in and start messing with stuff. And I don't, you know, cutting the slide and ruining it, you know. And, and so I, and I, you know, there's lots of machinists and lots of guys say they, they can do it, this and that. And I wasn't really considering it because I just, I didn't really know and such. But just the power of the internet and, and what marketing can do if you're clever and how you can create something out of nothing. There's a young man and I wish I had his name, I'd share it with you, that, that is a very talented machinist and very savvy. He's young, he's you know, maybe a little bit older than Jack, maybe in his mid-20s, but really talented on CNC machines and, and um, he's doing high-end machining and doing milling slides and doing custom work. And he's been putting stuff on TikTok. And you know, I would have never known of this guy and never known of his abilities, never heard of him, but he started putting his stuff on TikTok and doing YouTube shorts and stuff showcasing his work and his talent and I came across that and, I, and then I clicked over and I'm watching his site and I'm like well this guy's really really good and now he's most likely the guy I'm going to send my stuff to and he's going to get a job out of that because he's done good work he's marketed it well he's used TikTok you know he didn't have to hire a company he did everything himself got himself a camera you know he had just thought outside the box didn't just wait for something to come to him learned a craft perfected it got really good at it and then started showcasing it and put it out there so that those opportunities are there but it's easier for younger people you know so if you're an older guy and you've just 
done something for a long time, you know, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. It's not impossible, but there's that saying is true for a reason. You know, we just become less plastic, you know, less flexible. We get set in our ways and we just know oh, this is the way to do it and there's no other way to do it. And if I can't do it this way, then I'm not going to do it at all. You have to get away from that. You have to be open to opportunities and how can I pay for this? Land is cheaper. It's enticing. Um, you'll probably move to a state where property taxes or income tax is cheaper. That's enticing. You know, when you look at where you're at being in an urban environment, but don't lose sight of, yeah, you can get there, but once your savings runs out, once that income runs out and you're not able to replace what you had in an urban area, then that can be a problem and that will put a lot of strain on your relationship if you have, if you have a family. If you're a single guy, you can kind of go out there with a devil-may-care attitude, a lot more so than a married man. A married man with a family has consideration, other considerations and obligations. He has dependents taking care of him, so you have to be a little bit more conservative with that. So that's where I would start. Make sure you have that locked down and nailed down. Once you have an idea how you're going to pay for it, uh, number two is... Be very careful in the location, and you, I would be reluctant to go, if you're not familiar, if you're from Boston, and you watch all the videos, and you're like, man, I want to go to Idaho. Idaho looks good to me. I've been watching hunting videos and watching all these people moving over. This sounds good to me. We're going to pack up and go buy a place, uh, fly out there. I hear it all the time. The husband will jump on a plane, go look at something in summertime, um, buy it, and come back, and now they're going, right? and really didn't know what he was getting, didn't know what the weather was like, what, what that land was like in, in February during the worst part of the winter, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? Move slow. Smooth, slow is smooth. Smooth is fast, whatever that saying is. And what I would recommend you do is, is if you're going in blind to a place that you're not really familiar with, rent. There's no shame in renting. Rent something modest and then be in that community just so you know for sure, and then start venturing out and looking. You want to see, if you're going to make an investment on a piece of property that, you, that may be a heritage piece, that you plan on keeping, that you plan on your sons and, and grandsons inheriting and maybe even living on someday, you want it to be right. There's a lot to consider. You want to see it in all four seasons. Does it flood in the wintertime? We bought a place one time where there was no sunshine on it. We felt like we were going to start turning into ferns. You know, we just longed for the sun. It was up against a, a south slope of a mountain with the north and no sunlight in the house. It was dreadful. It was a depressing place to live. We never thought about it. You know, it never even dawned on us because we didn't know the area very well. So know the area and go in slow. Talk to the neighbors. If you're looking at a piece of property, don't trust the realtors. Realtors are are, a lot of them are liars, and they don't have, they're not honorable, and they're more interested in their commission than they are about taking care of their client. Not all, not all, but a lot of them. So don't trust them um, at all. Talk to your neighbors. Your, your neighbors will know, hey, uh, we're looking at this 20 acres. Looks good. You know, we've done our due diligence, and title, title report comes back clean and all that. Go talk to the neighbors, and they'll tell you what's up. Oh, yeah, uh, there was some toxic waste buried on that, or there was a chemical spill buried on that, or the water's bad, or um, uh, it floods, and, and then the, the septic system doesn't work anymore. You know, there's, they know all these things. Go talk to them, and just so you know for sure, and seeing it in those four seasons. And then after that, 
you have to think resources. Water is the number one. Where does your water come from? Is there a well? People will say, well, you need to know what it's cost to put a well in. You think, oh, we'll just dig a well. It's easy to say, right? But what happens when you get the well driller out there and he gets down 600 feet and now he's hit nothing but maybe a gallon or two a minute, not enough to supply enough water and irrigation. And he tells you, so what do you want to do? Do you want to keep going? Or do you want to dig a hole in another place at a hundred bucks a foot, right? So <laughs> that sort of thing. So if you get something that's already got good water on it, water is the most important thing and enough water. Let's get the well report. You can pull the well report up from the county It'll give you your, ga your gallons per minute. Test it yourself. Go turn it on. Get a five-gallon bucket. Turn it on for one minute. Is it what it says it's going to be? Have the water tested. Taste it. Is it drinkable? Is it enough to irrigate from? Also, what is the climate? You know, what's the growing season there? Are you going to be able to, to grow the food that you need? Is it zone, you know, what zone is it in? Do you have, like us, you have to, is it going to require a hothouse or a greenhouse to start things? So know these things before you get into it, because the water is number one. Is the soil good for growing? Are you going to have to bring in compost? You know, you need to know those sort of things. And then what about other resources? Fuel, i.e. firewood. Is there firewood available? Do you have access to it? Can you go cut yourself? Can you get a permit? You know, what does it cost? You know, just have these, just know these things before you get into it. And just so you're making a good choice, you know, once you have, if you can get work through those obstacles, if you can provide for yourself, support yourself, make a decent living and you have good water in a decent growing season and you have access to firewood so you can be energy independent, you can heat your, heat your home if the power is shut off, you know, then, you know, that, that's, that's really the tools are there for you to be successful. You can fill in the blanks and you can make all that happen after that. But don't go in blind. And, it, and I've done that before. I understand it. I, had, I understand the romantic ideas. I turned my nose up of pieces of property when we bought our off-grid places that had houses already on it, houses and barns and infrastructure and gravel driveways. You know, I didn't realize that I had to haul gravel up there at, and when I was getting quotes at $600 a load. You know, then I'm like, oh... You know, how am I going to put in a mile of road now? So I'm going to have a mud road, and how's that going to work in the wintertime? You know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I didn't do my due, due diligence on that. And, yes, it was very romantic, and I would have been very proud of myself and, and to, to do everything myself and build my own house and put my own well in and all that. I get all of that. But do you need all that aggravation? Do you have enough going on just trying, trying to get everything up and running without making it more difficult than it needs to be? So in the past, sweat equity was a thing. A guy always knew that if you were willing to put the work in, you could build your own house and you could do everything for half of what it would cost to buy it already, in exist already existing. Not anymore. Not anymore. You are going to have to hire tradesmen to come out, and tradesmen are very, very expensive now. Materials are very, very expensive now. Like some, like some, like pipe, for example, is 500, 600, 700 percent higher than it was five, six years ago, and you got to buy a bunch of that stuff: gravel, diesel fuel, drilling wells. All of that costs a tremendous amount. So there's a lot of value in something that's already there. If it's got an outbuilding. You know, you're talking to do a 40 by 40 shed building 
you know, you're, if you're going to have that built out, you're talking about you're talking two hundred thousand dollars out west here to build that. If you're talking a concrete floor, a couple of nice garage doors, uh, maybe some lighting in there, uh, slab, uh, you, you know, nothing fancy, but you're going to be two hundred grand when you counting the property and such, or not even counting the property, just for the building. And so if there's an already a structure on that, even if it's dilapidated and needs a roof and needs a paint, well, you can do all of that. But if it's got a well on it, you know, that right there is worth what? $30,000, $40,000 right there. And you know, you're gonna, you know what you got. So that's, what, that's the advice I would give you. Just do your due diligence on that stuff for sure. But good question. Thank you, Austin. We have a super chat from Steve Kozlowski. Shout out to you, Steve. And Steve says, Cody, looking for my first dirt bike, what would you recommend size and brand wise? Looking at Husqvarna, maybe Gas Gas, you're six foot with a heavier build. So there's two schools of thought here. So if we're talking dirt bike, I'm, I'm assuming you're going to talk not enduroed, meaning not street legal. So there's two routes you, you'd be able to go here. You're either going to go the, the, the European bikes or you're going to go with the Japanese bikes. The European bikes are race bikes. Your KTMs, your Husqvarna's, your Gas Gas, they're all very similar. Uh, just a few different tweaks and changes. If you like to wrench on stuff and you are a hands-on guy um, and you are understand the maintenance cycle on these things, oil every eight hours, you know, air filters, almost, you know, depending on the ride, almost oil change every ride. Um, just great bikes, very light, the best of the best. That's what I ride, um, but I'm a hands-on guy. You know, for every hour of riding, I'm putting three hours of maintenance and cleaning and all that. Not that you have to, but it's definitely going to be a one-to-one. I'd have to say, you're going to get, get a, they're going to be more expensive by about a third, uh, and the, the maintenance cycle is going to be a lot more often. Um, I would recommend, but they're the best. I would recommend if you want the best time uh, for an off-road bike, I would get a 250 or a 300 uh, two-stroke. Uh, you'll be able to do everything yourself when you, you need to do a top end. You'll need to do a top end on it every 140 hours or so. I'm, just, I'm actually got the parts coming to do mine. I'll be doing mine here this week. Um, but you can do it yourself. Uh, it's lightweight, very simple, easy to work on, and the best woods bikes in the world. Um, so I'm, I'm a big fan of them. If you want to go something that's just going to be just fun, that's gonna, you're not going to have to work on, that you change the oil maybe once a year. Uh, if you're not the type of guy that likes to wrench on stuff, you just want to get on and ride, and you want to have fun, and you just want to cruise around the trails, and you're not doing hard enduro, and you're doing crazy stuff up in the mountains like we're riding, then I would get into something you know, more of a, you know, like a Kawasaki um, or the Honda, you know, 230s, the 300s. Uh, it's kind of fun to have a dual sport. Uh, it, it really opens up your world to, to have something like, a, I would look at a Honda 300. I think it's the CRF-L. It's street legal. It's not super high speed, not, high, not, not crazy. You know, it's kind of an entry level bike, but it's a fun bike. You can go out and you can roll on trails. So if you're not living in the mountains where you're riding mountain riding like we are, like exposed cliffs and, you know, up and down and creeks and ravines where you need that performance and you need the lightweight and, and everything that comes from the European bikes, and you live more in a place where it's more rolly, 
more dirt trails and stuff. I don't know. I, I, you know, I'd probably consider a dual sport. Um, the Japanese bikes are going to be uh, a little bit cheaper. Um, maintenance a little bit less, you know, depending. You can get into the race bikes as well. But um, I would say if you want performance and you want to advance in the sport and you really, you're really going to get serious about it and this is going to be a lifestyle for you, I would stick with the KTMs and the Husqvarna's. Um, the 300s. Um, I'm not a big four-stroke guy. I've got a 450, 350, and the 300s. I don't like the four-strokes. Once you ride a two-stroke and just the lightness and the flow of it and the ease of maintenance and just the, the pleasure that comes from them, uh, they are fantastic. If you want a deal, here's, here's kind of a hack. Here's how you can get a better deal on those bikes because a new 300 is going to cost you like 13 grand. Go look for a carbureted, so that'd be 2018, 2017, I, I wouldn't get any older than, than 18, a 2018-19 KTM Husqvarna, right in there they were still carbureted, a 250. The 250s are not near as desirable as the 300s and, and their price reflects it. Uh, if you look on Facebook Marketplace and write it, figure out what the hours are, you know, you know you're going to have to put a piston in it at 140 hours or so and just realize that, I, okay, I'm going to buy this 250 at six foot, a bigger guy. It's not going to be quite as good as a 300, but you're going to get it at a deal, a lot better deal. When you come up for the piston service, then what you're going to do is rather than paying $400 for just the rebuild kit, go to Slavin's Racing, and for about 1000 bucks, you can get the whole 300-cylinder a kit. The whole bike's the same as a 300, but now when you rebuild it, you're going to bump it up and you're going to get that 300 power. You're going to turn that 250 into the 300. So you'll save $2,500 on buying it, and then when you inevitably have to do the piston, then you'll be able to upgrade it for $1,000 for about 600 more than what you'd spend already, but then now you've got a 300 uh, with a brand new top end, and everything's the same. Transmission, frame, size, everything on that bike, the 250 and the 300 are exactly the same. It's just a cylinder. That's the only difference. Uh, that's what I would do if you're not looking at buying a brand new one, if you're not in deep pockets uh, and you're looking to get a deal. Good question. Yep. Gas gas, you know, the, the gas gas is not, you know, it, it's the technology is, is going to be lagging a little bit over the KTMs. So how, how it's working, you know, in, in the, uh, over the umbrella. So the KTM brand or the Austrian brand, there's KTM, Husqvarna and gas gas, right? Same engine, same frames, all that sort of thing. But your Husqvarna is going to be your premium of the three. It's going to have um, a composite subframe, a little bit lighter subframe. It's going to have link suspension instead of the, um, um, just the single shock for PDF or P PDF or PD PDS. Uh, you're going to have a little bit different fork and sort of things. KTM. You know, it's still right in there, just a little, little bit different. You know, it's little, little nuances and difference, you know, open air box versus closed air box. And then your gas gas is usually going to be just lagging a little bit in technology. A little bit cheaper, but it's not going to have the latest, greatest super skookum technology that's developed from racing. So just kind of under, there's nothing wrong with the gas gases. It's fine, but it's just, just know that when you go into it. We have a, uh, a member chat from Kaysen McClunk. Shout out to you. Kaysen. Kaysen's been with us for one month. Kaysen says, what do you do when you're having an absolute 
SHIT day and nothing is going your way, do you keep pushing or quit and try again the next day? Like you get started off, you get out of the bed on you, you get out of bed on the on the wrong foot. You know what changes everything for me, as simple as it may sound, is if you find yourself in that situation, if you can, at home and you're getting off on the wrong foot and you just you're just you got that stinking thinking going on. The cold shower, I kid you not, the cold shower and do go through the breathing, Wim Hof breathing method. All it is, so go get in the cold shower for three minutes. It will take your mind off of all of whatever it is that's, that's getting you down, whatever it is that, that's, that's on your mind and, and just got you upset. It'll, it'll completely reset your whole frame of thinking because you'll be in the, in the shower fighting for your life for three minutes and you won't have time to worry about these ancillary things. I mean, it's, it sounds silly, but it works. I tell you, it absolutely works. Three-minute shower, if you're still at home, do that, and then you're going to go through the Wim Hof breathing method, and it's just this. You're going to sit down, and you're going to take, you're going to relax. Put you, get yourself in a comfortable position. Lay on your back, if that makes you comfortable. Sit Indian style, but whatever it is, just sit where you're just relaxed and you're comfortable. Clear your mind. And you're going to start, you're going to take 40 huge breaths through the nose. One. Two. In the belly. Start in the belly through the chest. Your hands are going to get numb. Your head's going to get light. You're going to do that 40 times. At the end of the 40th breath, you're going to exhale and you're gonna sit there and you're gonna empty your, your lungs of air. You're not gonna blow it out. You're just gonna naturally let, let the atmosphere equalize in your lungs. You're gonna close your eyes and you're gonna relax and you're gonna focus on your heartbeat and just focus on your breathing, just on your heartbeat, just on, feel, on what you're feeling in your body. You're basically gonna hold your breath. You're gonna hold your breath as long as you can until you have a, an urge, don't hurt yourself, don't pee your pants or anything, until you have an urge to breathe, you're gonna take a huge breath, hold it for 15 seconds, and you're gonna repeat the cycle. You're gonna do that three times if you're just starting, four times is better, I do it four times. Do the cold shower, three minute cold shower, and then go through four cycles of this breathing. And then at the end of it, tell me if you don't have a better outlook on life. Tell me that you don't have an appetite. Just, just try that and then come back and let me know how that goes. It sounds silly, but it works. It 100% works. And if you don't, if, if you're at work, if you're really frustrated, if, if you're working with, with um, if you've got terrible coworkers, dirt bags that, you know, that just bring you down and, um, and you can't get away from that, from negative people, if you can just get away and just go through the breathing. If you can just breathe, just if you can just do th four of those cycles, just go to the restroom, go outside on break, go to your car, just where no one's gonna bother you, and go through that process, even though you don't have access to the shower, that helps tremendously as well. And that helps, the, the breathing is not to be underestimated. We, we have, um, we've gotten in the habit, because we've never been taught to be shallow breathers. And, and what I've been learning, that, that breathing and the moving of air in your body is very, very important. And I'm trying to train myself. I find myself 
that really a shallow breather, like just barely breathing, not moving air through the body. Air is life and it causes circulation and such. And that shallow breathing is, is bad for your circulation and everything, it's just, but it's just kind of what we've got into. We just did, didn't know any better. So this process of starting this, where you do it as a routine in the morning, do your cold shower, go through your breathing, go through the breathing process, will make you aware of it. And throughout the day, you'll catch yourself doing it and you'll, you'll breathe. So if you, can, if you are nervous before like a presentation or you're about to go in you know, before the boss or, or whatever it is you find yourself doing that where you're feeling full of anxiety and anxiousness, stop and breathe. Even if, you, if you're speaking in front of a group of people and you just, your brain locks up and you're, just, you're up there dying right, and you don't know what to do, take a moment and just take a couple, even if just one, a big deep breath of air let it out. It resets you and refocuses you, and it's like a magic. It's, it's a life hack. It's a tremendous life hack. So try that. Oops, goodness. Try, try that um, casein uh, with the shower and tell me if that doesn't help. I think it will help. It definitely helps me. Goodness, we have a super chat from TNGG. Shout out to you, TN. And TN writes, um, I just saved up and bought my first compact tractor. What attachment should I look at to invest in? I have a loader with a bucket, a mower, and a box. Oh, that's a good question. So if I, we're talking about a farm tractor, conventional farm tractor. So if I had a farm tractor, the ver like if I was specking one out, Yanmar, Kubota, John Deere, the first thing that I would buy, and, and I would advise you guys that if you're going to go buy a tractor, <clears throat> a Mahindra or whatever it is, and you're going to finance it, get everything that you need up front. You'll be able to roll uh, the equipment into the payments. You know, it's, it's hard. It's hard when you, if you're going to buy a tractor where you, you're going to be using it to start a new life on country living, or you're going to start you know, you're, you're changing your life. If you're buying a tractor, you know, you're most likely something's changing or you've got some property. There's going to be so much difficulty and so many expenses that it's hard to acquire those things afterwards when you realize, oh, I need a post hole digger. Oh, I need a mower. You know, and then, you know, that's another 10 grand, you know, 12 grand here, you know, seven grand here. It's hard, it's hard to do. So I would think long and hard, you know, what is it that you need to do and roll that all in and get it all at one time. Um, the key things that I would order if I was doing that would be number one would be a front end loader. A garden tractor, farm tractor, compact tractor, um, it needs to be four wheel drive, 100% four wheel drive, uh, and it needs a front end loader. A tractor without a front end loader is just not, is not very useful apart from just dragging a mower around. So that would be number one. Number two would be a set of forks. Forks are actually more just as useful you when you're not using the forks you're going to be using the uh the front end loader and make sure it has a quick attach on it don't you know make it so it's easy to change so that you're likely to use it those are the number two things if that's all you had then you could you you could do pretty well on the back um the first piece of equipment that i would buy uh, would be a mower no question a mower is very very useful um, I use that probably more than anything. Um, a post hole digger, uh, I'd have a post hole digger. Uh, that's very useful as well uh, with a couple different augers. Get a small one, 12 inch one and 24 if your tractor can swing it. 
Uh, and the 24 is really nice when you're doing your orchard and you're planting. You know, you, either you're going to be digging those holes by hand or you can go back there with that big auger and you can do a lot of that heavy lifting. And that, that's something that we've used a lot. Um, so I, I would definitely do that. If you're maintaining roads, uh, if you're doing your own gravel or you've got to build roads, you know, you can build roads with a farm tractor. It's going to be a little, take a little longer, but you can do it. A, a drag box with reversible ripper teeth uh, would be something that I would seriously look into. A uh, drag box is really handy. Drag box is nice for a couple different things. One, it gives you the ability to, to roll and place gravel on your road. Um, you can reverse the tines, flip those downs, and you can scarify. And you can, if, once your gravel comes really set and packed in, you can loosen that up so you can grade it. That's a very useful tool. And also, it's going to give you counterweight when you're moving stuff around. If you decide to build and you're moving lumber packages around, you're lifting roofing, uh, hay bales and stuff, you're going to need a ballast on the back. So rather than buying a ballast box, you can either put your mower on, which will work, but it's so big that you find that you can't maneuver in tight spaces. So the, the drag box is kind of nice for that, that it gives you a counterbalance to the front, front end loader and the forks, uh, but it's not so big that you can't still maneuver the thing. And you know, that's the, the big thing. I, I don't have a drag box. I elected for a six-way adjustable blade, which is the next level uh, if you want something because the six-way adjustable blade gives you ability to crown the road because a, a road needs to have a crown in it. If you look at roads, if they're done properly, they have a crown in them. Why? Well, so the water doesn't settle in them. Hydroplaning is real. Hydroplaning is a problem on highways. So there's a big crown in roads so the water runs off to the side. So when you're, what, the problem with the drag box is that it makes it perfectly flat. And so if you're in an area that's wet and proponent, prone to have a lot of surface water, then your road's always going to be flooded because it's very difficult to put the crown in it with a drag box. So an adjustable box, adjustable blade, like the one I have, is nice because you can adjust it this way, you know, tilt it, and you can cut and do those crowns and everything with it. Uh, but outside of that, um, I had a rototiller. Uh, that I used for a while. So when I, I used to, I had a sponsorship with, with uh, Rhino and I had a, uh, that was a year long contract. And when that contract was up, they gave me the option to either uh, buy the equipment back from them at half price or just return it. That was our, that was our agreement. And so the pieces of equipment that I kept and I had the flex wing mower, I had everything. I had the rototiller and all of that. When I thought long and hard about it, what were the pieces that I want? that I was using, it, it was the mower, the post hole digger, and the six-way adjustable blade or slash drag box. Those were the, were the three. Um, those, those are the big ones right there. Um, now, I also, if you're building, you're going to have a lot of digging and trenching to do. Uh, and if you don't have a dedicated backhoe or excavator, um, then I would probably consider a backhoe attachment, but I'd probably buy one used. Buy one used, have it for a year, do what you need to do, and then just sell it and get your money back out of it. Because once the trenching and the digging and all that stuff is done and the infrastructure is put in, it's not the best digger. You know, it's, just, if you just, it's not super effective or super powerful. It's good for doing water lines. It's good for doing sewer lines. It's doing, good for doing light excavation. It makes the machine quite utilitarian and usable, but it's a pretty big expense for, for something that you're not going to use too much after that. Um, 
but it's always better to have something as a dedicated digger because those, you know, you know how they are, especially if you have a compact tractor. But that's what I would do. Yeah, box blade, bucket, uh, mower, and if you're going to be doing fence work, planting, I would look at a post hole digger. Uh, they're not very expensive, and they, they do a lot of work. They're, they're pretty handy. We have a super chat. Shout out to you, TN. Good question. We have a super chat from Saul Vang Circus. Shout out to you, Saul Vang. He says, what's a better bear height gun, a 19G or a revolver? Well, the problem, are we talking about bears? If you're talking about bears, the, the, the bear, the 19 is not, the 9mm is not, an, not a, an ideal bear gun. Now, what are we talking about here? Are you, is it a one-time deal or it, what's the chance? Is, it, is the likelihood high that you're going to run into one? Do you live on Kodiak Island? Do, do you live in Alaska? You know, that, that's going to dictate it. Or are you talking about small Midwestern Western brown bear that are most likely going to run off uh, if you just say boo to them? If it's the latter, if we're just talking just regular black bear uh, and not brown bear, grizzly, Kodiak sort of thing, then the 19X is fine. The just carry whatever it is that, that you are going to get the most use out of. That's going to be a good home defender. It's going to be affordable to train with. Um, it's going to be something that you like, something that you can carry. And the 19X fits into that. You know, that's my number one go-to carry. When I'm out in the forest with the brown bear threat, or the, not the brown bear, the black bear threat that we have here, it's sufficient. It's, it's, that's fine. You know, if I'm going to be really deep in hunting, I'm going to have a rifle on me anyway. So I would say that that would be just fine. The appeal of the revolver is that if you are if you're in a situation when you think of bear gun i'm thinking of last ditch effort where you're fighting for your life the reason why a bear gun should be carried on a chest holster right here or a guide style holster the reason for that and the reason why the guys do that is that if you are attacked by a bear you're going to cover up and you're going to protect yourself and usually if you're in bear country, it's going to be cold, right? Or, uh, you know, it can be. So you got a lot of clothing on. So fighting through clothing to get to uh, inside the waistband, outside the waistband holster can be difficult, especially if you're being mauled. Where when you go into protection mode, when you're protecting yourself, when you're covering yourself, your hands automatically come right to this area, right here where the holster is. So that's the appeal of the guide holster. It's right there. The other part portion is if you're in a cold climate and you're wearing, you know, big Arctic coats, puffy coats, it will be on the outside. You don't have to fight through any clothing. It's right there. There's nothing quicker. It's, it's one of the best draw strokes right from there. So that's kind of the philosophy of the, of the bear holster or the guide holster. Now, revolver versus automatic, the, the appeal of the revolver is that in close quarters, where you are, you know, fighting for your life. Uh, it's very easy to knock an automatic out of battery. If we take a 19X or any of the striker fight, any of them, if you push, if you push that, that barrel or that slide up against anything, it's going to knock that out of battery, meaning it's not going to fire. So if you are fighting and, and pushing it, 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 anyway, if this thing is on you, you're pulling the trigger, nothing is happening. And can you get the wits about you to, to work through that problem? 
You know, that's going to depend on you and your training and, and how you understand the machine, the mechanism, the tool, how it works. The revolver doesn't suffer from that problem. It's going to, it doesn't matter. You can jam the thing down the, the, the brown bear's throat and, and start, you know, pulling the trigger. It's going to work. It's going gonna, it's gonna to go off, especially if with a bobbed hammer or, or you know, an absent hammer, there's nothing. It's going to go off. It doesn't matter what situation it is. So that's why that's always been so popular with, uh, for backup carry for law enforcement, for cops and such. Detectives is an ankle with that because if you're down on the ground and someone is on you, a bear is on you, having something that's 100% all the time uh, is going to be very effective. Uh, and that's the appeal of the revolver. You can have six shots, and usually, you know, you're going to get into a bigger cap. So there's there's that. You know, th those are the two deals. The downside of the revolver, six shots. Is that enough? Uh, you know, probably, most likely. Now, what about calibers? What's what's the ideal bear caliber? Well, if we're talking about, if we're, if we're going to learn from the guys that are actually doing it up north, a lot of them are carrying uh, the the Glocks in a 10 millimeter. 10 millimeter is pretty well understood to be an adequate round for, for bear. Uh, and a lot of guys carry that. Now, if 10 millimeter gives you the fizz and you want to carry that, that's cool, that's fine. But it's expensive, it's very uncomfortable to shoot. Uh, it's got a tremendous recoil. <coughs> it's just overall bigger and more difficult to carry in kind of a, a niche or dedicated sidearm. So if you have the means to have a dedicated bear gun, that's, that's just for that, and I can have both, I can have a 19X and I can have a, a 10 millimeter, then of course the 10 millimeter would be the better way to go. I, I would be, if I was going to, if I was going to go up uh, on a caribou hunt or hunt uh, brown bear up in Alaska, I would take a, a Glock 10 millimeter. I don't own one, but I would buy one for that trip. Um, that's what I would choose. Uh, if it was going to be a revolver, I would probably get a Smith & Wesson, something with a, a light, lightweight frame um, that would be no smaller than 357 Magnum. 357 Magnum, 44 Magnum, one of those two, uh, I would go with in a revolver for a dedicated bear gun uh, with um, probably a, a short barrel, four inch, probably four inch. Six inches is pretty hard to manage on the chest. Four inch barrel, probably be sufficient. Those, even the smaller, the two-inch barrel, even with those calibers, the 357 and the 44 Magnum, um, they have enough, there's enough pressure there that even with that short barrel, you still get, uh, you still get a big punch out of those things. So I, I, I wish I could just give you an answer. All I can do is just tell you what guys are using that, that do this more than I do it, and that's typically the case. I see a lot of 10 millimeters. You get the high-capacity double-stack mags, you get a reliable tool in the Glock chassis. Uh, as long as you understand the, the issue with coming out of battery, uh, then you should be fine. So that, that's, that's all I could really tell you. We have a new member, Build It Nation. Shout out to you, Build It. I will have a brand new members video only for you. As soon as I leave the live stream here, I'm going to go in there and I'll, I'll throw that up for you. It's already made. Um, where I covered all this cool stuff in, in detail and all of the new, the choices for the, the new AR build for Jack and I, um, all the Geisley stuff as well. But welcome, welcome. We have a super chat from our friend Spartan219. Shout out to you, welcome back. Spartan's been with us for two months. Spartan says, hey Cody, good to see you back. I'm still stacking cash and actively looking for a small truck. 
I'm up to $700 now. I will be a free man and happy. Man, does that feel good? Feels good. Having that first $1,000 in the bank is quite, quite an accomplishment. That's quite an accomplishment. What would I buy? What would you buy? Boy, used cars are expensive right now. The car market, you know, I'm all, I've always followed the car market because it's in my blood because I had a wrecking yard for over a decade. And when I was first getting started, I would save up my money and was buying Jeep Wranglers and I would buy them at the dealer auction. And sometimes it was all the money, many times, many, many times for years. It was, and I had a family, young family. It was all the money I have. I remember every single time of, ha of going to the bank and getting a cashier's check for four, five, six, seven thousand uh, dollars, which doesn't sound like a lot of money now. May not sound, maybe it does. Um, but it was everything to me. And man, it was, so, it was, I never liked it. So I'd go to the bank, get the cashier's check, and, and go pay for this vehicle that I bought on the auction, sight unseen, hoping and praying that there were going to be enough parts and things were as I had they were pictured and no one had lied to me on the auction which was usually the case uh, and that I could take this apart and, and make profit from it. So the prices of vehicles um, I lived and died by them so I'm just very very tuned in. I watch, used to sit and watch the auctions for hours and hours and, and such. So I'm, I'm familiar with the industry and, and such. So I still watch it and I still follow YouTube channels. There's some really interesting YouTube channels of small uh, used car lots uh, that kind of do kind of doing what I used to do, and I'm sympathetic to that. And I enjoy watching them, and they go to the auctions and they talk. But but it's a real it's a real good indicator if for someone if you like to keep your ear to the ground of what's going on with the economy. Now we can't trust anything that comes out of Fox News, MSNBC, and CNN. You just that's just nothing more than just pure lies and propaganda. I don't care what side it is. Um, none of it is of any value, very little. But what is of value is what's going on at the dealer auctions. What are, what are people actually doing? What are people actually buying? What are they selling? What's going on with, with cars? Because cars are, next to homes, are a big expense. And it's something you have to have in America. You can't get by without it. And so you, by seeing what people are buying and what's coming through the auction and what's rare and what's not rare really gives you an indicator of what is going on with the economy. And it's used cars right now are very difficult because the new car market, new cars have become stupid expensive. A working guy, even just a few years ago, would have been able to go buy um, um, a four-wheel drive F-150. You know, maybe you didn't get the Lariat. You know, maybe you didn't get the King Ranch, but you got the XL, maybe even the XLT. Uh, you know, you get in something for thirty, thirty-eight, forty thousand dollars. You know, a working guy could afford to buy something like that. You could get into it. Yeah, you're making payments on it, but you can get into it. What does it cost to buy a car now? I mean, to, to go get a four-wheel drive pickup, even with a gas engine, not even to the twelve-thousand-dollar diesel upgrade. Uh, you know, you're seventy, seventy-five thousand dollars, and now and they're still putting market adjustments on them. So, there's, so some of them are still selling up over sticker. And so the cost of these vehicles is so high that and when, when you're in a recession and the economy is uncertain, even if people are not hurting, they pull in. You know, you start tightening your belt. You know, you, you're not going out to eat like you used to do it. You're not, you're not 
trading in that old that truck that's four or five six years old that would have been out there in the market for and available for half the price of a new one. That people are holding on to those right now. So there's less inventory. So that entry level price point that Spartan's at right now is it's really tough uh, because they're things are selling high. People are holding on to stuff. They're not upgrading. They're not buying because they are uncertain what the economy is going, and everyone's kind of in a holding pattern. So. It's a tough time, but you just just hang in there, and uh, just watch, watch the prices. If you can, you know, always. Uh, when I was in high school, I had a I, I needed a job, right? I turned 16, got my license on my birthday. Needed a job because I got expenses now. I got to pay insurance, and I got to put gas in my car, and you know, all the tires, all the expense that comes with it. You know, even though I'm living at home, I have to have a job. So I won't okay, get a job. What can a 16-year-old do? So I went and got a job at a gas station with some of my friends that were working there. I worked there for about two weeks, and I mean, it didn't pay anything. And you, you know, you're going to school full time, and now you're doing this gas station job, and your weekends are all taken up by this gas station job, and it was just terrible. And you just can't get ahead. I mean, they're just not paying you enough to get ahead. You're just basically a, a slave there. I thought, screw this, you know, if I'm going to put this much time in, I'm going to do something different. So I thought, I found out, now this was before Facebook Marketplace, there was no internet and all that, so there used to be something called the, the nickel, is it the nickel trader? The nickel, is it, I can't remember, I think it was the nickel trader. It was something like that. But it was a little weekly magazine, they were local, that would come out, where people would advertise I wish I could remember the name of it, would advertise cars. Not only that, but in your local paper, when there were still newspapers, there was a classified section that they were in there as well. So what I did, I thought, okay, so I had a little bit of money saved up from, from the gas station job. I thought, well, I, my granddad was a mechanic and, and uh, taught me how to work on cars. I'm not a tech or anything, but I can fix small things. So what I did is I went and I started looking for vehicles that had problems. Trans, I look at, I, the first one I bought was a, was old Chevy of some sort, and it had a bad transmission in it. It was the first one I bought, and it was like $1,200. But the car was worth double that. And so I, and it was a clean, nice car. And so I, I it wasn't for me, I already had my own car, but I thought, okay, and this was, was really kind of my entry into being an entrepreneur. So I went, uh, uh, went to the junkyard and uh, found out, well, what, what can I buy a transmission for? It's guaranteed. Well, went down to the local junkyard or call, whatever I did. Oh, well, you can get a transmission for that car for about 350 bucks. So I thought, okay, well, if I can buy it, he's asking $1,200. If I can buy it for 1000 I can go get that transmission for 350 My labor is not worth anything, right? So I, I can do that shade tree down in the gravel. I got, you know, I had a basic set of craftsman tools. <laughs> My granddad wouldn't allow a Chevrolet or General Motors in his shop, you know, only Ford, so that wasn't an option. But it was a good, so I thought, well, okay, so I buy it. So I went and bought it, and I offered the guy $1,000, looked at it, and uh, yep, it's got a bad transmission, slipping. Uh, okay, no problem. I know what it is. I know how to change the transmission. I'll be able to put 350 in it. Let's say worst case scenario with oil and a couple ancillary things. I got $1,500 into it. I could sell this car for about $2,500. I could make $1,000 on this car for what I, it would take me a weekend to do when I'm, I'm done. Make $1,000. You know how long it would take me to make $1,000 at the gas station after work? It would take me a month. 
a whole month, you know, to, to make that after taxes and all that. One of the best days of my life. I brought that car home. It was still drivable, but it, it was definitely slipping. I babied it home, pulled it in underneath my dad's carport and started looking at it, started going over it, started getting it cleaned up, you know, getting ready to do the transmission. So I thought, oh, just for that, I pulled the dipstick, transmission oil dipstick. When you check transmission fluid, you have to have the engine running, you know. Pull the dipstick on it, there's no, no ATF on the dipstick. And looking at that, I'm thinking, surely not. It couldn't be that simple, right? Go in, pour in a quart of ATF, put it down in there, still nothing. Pour in another quart of ATF, about two and a half, three quarts or so, whatever it was. I'm back up on the dipstick, right? What's the chance? that this thing never had a bad transmission at all, but it was simply low on ATF. You know what? That's exactly what it was. So I turned that car and made $2,000 on it, and that's, that changed my life. When I realized when I, when, that, I, that I cleaned it up, detailed it, put it back in the nickel, nickel, nickel ads, I think it was nickel ads, put it back in the nickel ads, someone came and bought it, you could always sell it, $2,800, car that's running, and that's always got a market, and made that $2,000 in so easy, you know, that really changed my life. And, and I, I was, didn't work for very many people after that. You know, I just was always hustle, you know. And then once I started doing that, you know, I'd look for distressed cars and stuff where I knew that they, they had a problem, maybe it had a, needed a front end, you know, could I do it, figure it out? Yeah, you can do all those things. Now that you have the internet and Harbor Freight, there's nothing that a guy can't fix short of getting into like a really difficult automatic transmission or something. But you can do ball joints and you can swap out parts and change stuff. You know, you can, you can figure that stuff out. So that's the way to get into a car that you're not able to afford. And just for fun, you know, after that, once I started kind of doing that, and then I taught myself how to detail cars, because it was really important. You, I realized immediately, you know, if a car is clean and shiny and the engine compartment looks nice and everything's detailed, you know, you can make an extra $500, $700 on a car just by cleaning it. Yeah, it takes you all day, but if it takes you all day to detail a car and you make $500, you know, that was five, that was 500 real dollars, you know, back in the ni early 90s. That meant something. And then from there, when I had slow time, I had all this detailing equipment and I bought a buffer and taught myself how to, you know, buff paint and do minor repairs. And even I bought a paint, paint, you know, I was even doing painting fenders and, you know, just little, doing little, little repairs and things like that. Just self-taught, made a paint booth with plastic. You pull, pull a car into your garage, hang up some plastic, wet everything down to knock the dust down. You can get a good paint job. There's no reason why you can't get a good paint job. On your, you can do it yourself. I did all that stuff. And then when I had a little downtime, I had kind of my detailing going up. I went down to the, to the local, um, the used car, down McLaughlin Boulevard was where all the car dealerships were. There were and they always had trade-ins and used cars. I went down to the service manager and I said, I'd like to uh, detail your cars. And they said, well, we already have someone that details your cars. I said, well, what are they charging? They said, well, 150 bucks. I said, I'll do it for 100. Okay, we'll let you try one. He sent me home with a car, you know, so I started doing that sort of thing and made extra money that way. So that was, you had to hustle and you had to be a creative thinker and come up with solutions and be able to work hard and, and, and figure solutions out to, to get ahead uh, and not just be, you know, waiting for a paycheck. But even then those opportunities were there. 
but now even more so with the internet and and you know you can do those sort of things. So I, I, that's a long answer to your question to to your thing there, Spartan. But sometimes if you just haven't been taught this, if you didn't grow up in an entrepreneurial home or you never had a good role model to kind of get you thinking in a different direction, um, then these are just some ideas for you um, where you can speed this process up. So Spartan, if you don't know, is in a bad situation. He, he's locked into a relationship that he can't get out of and he's see, stacking up money so that he can get himself into a better situation. And one of the, one of the key things that he's going to need is a new car, new vehicle. So he's been saving for that. So in four weeks, he's been able to save $700 towards that. And that's a great accomplishment. Great accomplishment. Good, good for you, brother. Good for you. It's hard, it's hard to do when you don't have a car, man, especially in this country. This country is designed around vehicles. And if you don't have one, it's hard to get out and do anything. If you've got a car or a truck, then you're, the world's your oyster. You know, you can go out and you can make things happen. But if you're on foot, it's, it's tough. It's tougher. We have a super chat from Fordor. Shout out to you. A very generous super chat. And he says, Ice Road Truckers here again. Have you ever seen the Northern Lights? I love the job up here. I get to see them every night. Green, purple, white, blue. Downright spiritual experience in God's creation. Yeah, I have seen them. Uh, when I lived, not to the extent that you have, um, but when I was in Colorado, up at, um, I lived up at about 10,000 feet up in Summit County. I would see them up there. And actually, we saw them really bright. It was very, it was a strange phenomenon. It was the only time. It was at our old homestead, at the last place. We had a dinner party. We had uh, like four or five couples over. And one of my friends, which, which is a forester, and he knows the area really well and, and that I used to do wildland firefighting with, he was out on the porch uh, with the dogs, and this was probably about 9 o'clock at night. And he said, what's that glow off in there to the north? And it was unbelievably bright. And we had lived there, you know, we'd been there seven or eight years, and I'd never seen anything like that. It was, it was basically the same view we have here of Fuji, just rolled around to the east a little bit. But it was often, it was just as bright as bright could be. That green and blue, that aurora borealis. It, it, it is incredible. It's incredible. It's a very, it's an incredible mystery, too. We have a super chat from Bender Bear. Thank you, Bender. No comment, just generosity. Thank you. Very generous of you. I sure appreciate that. And a new member, my1252152. Welcome. Welcome. And, and he, he writes, um, he's been with us for four months, actually. He writes, glad you're back, brother. Some intel for the fellows. I'm a B-767 cargo pilot. There is odd stuff being sent around the U.S., say Frosty in these last days. Yeah, he's right. I've been following that. Uh, if you are a professional homeowner like myself and you're frustrated with trying to get good intel, trying to figure out what's going on, what's going on with the trains, what's going on with all these troop movements. You know, you hear bits and pieces, um, troops being deployed, and are we send, how many, what type of equipment are we sending over to Poland and over to Germany and such? You're not going to be told, you're not going to find that out. And even if you have someone in the service or in the industry, it's so compartmentalized, but they're only getting a little piece of it. You're not getting the big picture. One of the most fascinating and insightful things that I came across that I mentioned yesterday was the um, uh, the spyglass, or no, what is it? Not spy, is it spyglass? 
not spyglass. I can't even remember. It's a tracking, it tracks all the military flights. Skyglass, thank you, Skyglass. You have to pay for it, sign up for it. I don't know, seven, eight, ten bucks a month or something. But man, I enjoy it to no end. Now, if you don't have that type of money, but you still want to find out what's going on, uh, man, go over and subscribe to Monkey Works. M-O-N-K-E-Y-W-E-R-X. Monkey Works. He's a YouTuber. And he kind of assisted in the development of this guy, Glass. And I don't know his background, but I, he knows so much about airplanes and air travel and troop movements and moving equipment around the country and sub hunters and refueling planes and spy planes and uh, drones and all that stuff and the, and the balloons the, the surveillance balloons all that that he does a he's been doing kind of a bi-weekly intel briefing on youtube where he covers all of this stuff what air force one is doing tracking it he tracked um he tracked the plane that most likely dropped uh, an ordinance on the pipeline that no one's talking about. That's a very fascinating story, if you want to, want to, want to find out about that. Uh, he uh, does a really great intel briefing where he covers, he isolates what, where are the tankers, what are they doing, uh, what are the spy planes doing, where the submarines are, where the troop movements are, where the camber flights are, which is where the cargo's at, where they're coming out, they're even, you know, how they're surveying and how the train and rail movement is going. It will give you a very good picture as to what our government is doing and how they're mobilizing for this, what's going on in the Ukraine, uh, what they're not telling you about. And if you want to be in the dark or, you know, just go ahead and listen to mainstream media, you're going to be, it's nothing more than state-sponsored propaganda. Have no faith in it whatsoever including Fox, have no faith in it. Uh, but you have to find these, these little sites. So that's the best news out there right now uh, is on TikTok. You're getting people on the ground. Um, you know, once the algorithm is very good and, you know, once you kind of start, you can learn to use it. Learn to use the algorithm and how long you dwell on particular topics. So if you're dwelling on geopolitics and such, it will start feeding you more of these sorts of things. And you're getting a lot of people on the ground. You're getting real-time reporting for people that are actually in these areas. Um, and it's not, because it's not an American company, it's not being suppressed. It's not being curated, nowhere near as much. Now, it's not perfect, but it's the best that we have access to it. If you want real, the real raw feed. You have to fill in, you know, you have to kind of read between the lines, but it's a great, and very interesting uh, source of information. The reason why you hear all this bad stuff about TikTok, and it may have started with, you know, the latest dance and K-pop and all this stuff. I'm not talking about that. All that stuff is on there, but I have no interest in that. I'm following world events. I'm following people that are talking about things that they know. You know, when you talk about, um, you want to know what it takes to blow up a pipeline and what these things are made out of, you know, Structural engineers that actually do that sort of work are actually on the platform talking about this. Pilots are talking about, you know, what would it take to drop, you know, so you're getting really incredible information and it's not being nowhere near as censored or, or, or curated as the American sites. It's a, I mean, it's a shocking thing to me where there's less censorship on a Chinese, communist Chinese website than there is on the American sites. 
I watch YouTube Shorts very closely. This is my business. I, I follow trends. I watch these things. I also participate and make them. Uh, and I follow TikTok as well. I up upload on both sides. And the amount of information, the difference between the two is staggering. The TikTok uh, algorithm is far superior to the YouTube Shorts algorithm. And it's also off the hands. You know, it, it, as censored as it is, and as all the problems that it has, it's far better than any of the American sites. Um, I would encourage you to just be careful. It's addictive. You know, just understand that you got to set limits on things. But um, I would strongly suggest going over there and, and getting in on the Intel briefs from MonkeyWorks. They're quite insightful um, and very well done. Very well done. And you're seeing, you're not, think, you're not getting speculation, you're seeing troop movements. You're seeing, and he knows what's on these planes. He knows what they do. You're even going to see all the weather manipulations going on. You, you're going to see exactly what the government's interested in, whether they're flying over Poland, or they're flying on the s southern border of Ukraine, or they're flying over Palestine, or Benghazi, all these places. You see them. You see where the refuelers are, so you know, you know what are they refueling? Most likely, when these tankers are there, you, there's going to be fighters also deployed. You're going to see what's going on in the southern border. Uh, it's it's great great intel. We have a super chat from Oklahoma Hemi dude. Man, I can get behind that. Cody, do you watch Dr. Stephen Greer, particularly his last two movies on the Disclosure Project? Stephen Greer. Now I know that name. I'll bump that up up to the top of my list. I know that name. I know I, I know once I see him I'll know I'll know who he is. But it's not something that I I can build put a face on. Thank you for that recommendation. I will I'll um I'll come back to this and I will I'll go I'll look into that tonight. Stephen Greer. I don't know why I can't I can't put that together right now, but I, I do the the name is very familiar to me. Thank you. Thank you for that recommendation. We have a, a member message from Jerry Gentry. He's been with us for one year. Shout out to you, Jerry. And Jerry writes, um, for your Mark 18 Fizz issue, have you checked out the LMT buffer tube? Looks to be very close, if not identical, to the Knight's buffer tube you're looking for. It is identical because it's made by... I'm 98% sure it's made by Knight's and provided uh, to LMT, but it's, made, it's the same one. Yeah, the LMT, I'd be curious to see, uh, maybe if it's LMT stamped. Most of the LMT stuff is stamped. I have, um, my favorite stock uh, is a LMT SOP mod, the original SOP mod with the battery compartments and the high cheek welds. I think that that's the best. It's a little bit heavy, but I like the battery storage in it. And I, ha I have those, I buy those strictly from LMT. B5 makes them as well. But I prefer the LMTs, even though they're 100, they're probably double the price. But you know, you just can't put a price on the fizz. And LMT gives me the fizz. Knight's Armament gives me the fizz. But yes, I have. Uh, actually, after yesterday, uh, I was recently on that site and I, see, I did see that they had those in stock. And I, I'm, I believe that they're exactly the same thing. Yep, yep. And I think they were 50 bucks. Yeah, I need to get one of those, man. Man. We thank you for that recommendation, Jerry. We have a super chat from our friend Dr. Pepper. Welcome, Dr. Pepper. Dr. Pepper says, China build up Ukraine. The most important things we can get these days is a reliable source of facts 
reporters, radios, and apps. Yeah, and that's what's happening exactly, Dr. Pepper. That's, what, that's what's happening. Following these troop movements on Skyglass is the real deal. Um, and there is a whole lot of stuff going on. What's very interesting is the, the U.S. government is very interested in surveying. They're spending a lot of time uh, on the railroads that come off of all the main defense contractors. So they are planning, just in a nutshell, I can tell you what they're doing. What they're planning is they're, making, they're getting ready or, or making sure that the infrastructure is set up to do massive movements of equipment uh, on the rails in, in this country. So what does that mean? Is that, is that to go to a port uh, for overseas deployment? Is it to put down the thought that they mean, think that they might need to put down a rebellion in Texas? You know, you, you be the judge on that. I don't know anything more than that. All I can tell you is that they're very concerned with this and something is heating up where they are preparing to put themselves in a position to move a lot of equipment and move it quickly. Because if you think about it, you know, these, it's a big country. And if there's an uprising over here, up in northern Idaho or down in south Texas or anything, to get, how are they going to get, how are they going to drop the hammer? You know, there is, there are air assets and stuff, but that's not going to be very popular. Because people can see that they're going to be, they're going to need to bring in Bradleys. They're going to need to bring in artillery. They're going to need to bring in all that stuff. And that is brought in by rail. So, as a professional homeowner, that would be a good tip to realize that that's something that um, guys should know about where they are and just have an idea and have a plan, right? Because we all have vulnerabilities, right? We all have weaknesses. We have a super chat from Grape Drank 001. Shout out to you, Grape. He says, I really appreciate your shorts on maneuvering around the Skynet. Keep up the good work. Yeah, so. I could uh, speak on that a little bit. That sort of video, yes, it's it's there. There's some content of value there, but it's it's of course it's very obvious to anyone who knows anything or it's hunted, right? I, you don't need me to tell you that. The purpose of that sort of thing is to wake up the sleepers. You know, the one of the saddest things that's taken place throughout history is is when um, one army overruns another army or takes takes prisoners, soldiers prisoners. It's been commonly done uh, where they'll force the prisoners to dig their own grave and they know they're digging their own grave. Can you imagine that? Have a, with a gun at your head pointing, pointing at your head where you're digging your own grave knowing they're going to shoot you and kick you into it and cover you up with dirt, right? What an offense that would be. What a disgraceful thing. We've bought all this stuff. These, these, these weapons of war and these robot dogs and sniper dogs and these attack drones and all of this high-speed equipment that will be turned upon us. We've basically dug, it's the equivalent of digging our own grave that we're about to be put into. And if you think that they won't use it against you and us, then you are sadly mistaken. Especially when they get a mandate, you know, when the gloves are off. All these things will be brought to bear upon you. And the idea, I mean, the, the purpose of this sort of video is obviously these sort of things get tremendous views. That's a million view video in 24, 48 hours. There's a lot of people that see it. The idiots of society 
look at it and they think, oh, that will never happen. Uh, you know, you're, you're a conspiracy theorist. You're crazy and all of that. I'm not interested in those people. Those people are a lost cause. They're of no value. But if it sparks into your mind, oh, you know, yeah, I have seen those things. And, you know, I, I saw uh, those on the History Channel and, and how they were carrying bags and such for, for the soldiers. And, you know, it seemed like a good use of tax dollars to develop this technology, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's to shock you. It's to shock people into waking up. Wake up. You know, things are, things are moving against you right now. These technologies and such, it's not, it's, not a being, it's not how to take out one of these robots or these dogs. Of course, anybody with half a brain is going to be able to figure that out. Just run over the thing, right? If you're running over the things, don't hit it from the front of your car. Have you ever watched Demolition Derby? Why do they drive around in reverse in the Demolition Derby? Because the front of your car is vulnerable. What's in the front? your cooling system, your radiators, your condensers. Very fragile, lightweight aluminum, one little puncture, and in a matter of a few minutes, the whole car is rendered, it, it's, it's done, right? So don't run over them, back over them, because there's not a lot of critical things on the back. Yeah, maybe the gas tank, but if you're not a fool, you, you're gonna be able to get more mileage that way. So if you're gonna smash things up, don't do it headlong, for goodness sake. And certainly disable your airbags, goodness. I have something that I'll share with you guys. Can you keep it under your hat? I'll be right back. Something you might want to consider. I'm moving as fast as I can. Hold on, hold on. I want you all to have options, beloved, when, if and when things get bad. And that's the sort of thing that I try to share with you. Years ago, I uh, got locked uh, behind a big metal gate. It was a road that should have been open, and it was um, remote. And on a weekend, and here I'm coming out at, dark, at nighttime, and, and, and I run into a gate, no other way around it. Big metal Forest Service style gate. Not for it, it was private, but, it was, but someone locked me in there. Uh, it wasn't private, no, it was, it, was a, it was a public road. It should not have been locked, but it happened. So there I'm stuck. On the other side of the gate was a great big Caterpillar, like a 944 loader with a cab on it, big front end loader, big articulating loader. Well, I uh, was an excavating contractor in the time, and I always carry these. You know what this is? This is every single key for every piece of equipment in America. Caterpillar, John Deere, Yanmar, Hitachi, Skyjacker, Skylift, um, Volvo, Toyota forklifts, Heister, everything, every single key. You know, your equipment is not like cars. Caterpillar has, well, actually, they have two keys. The old, they have an older style, but they have one key. It runs all of their equipment. John Deere is the same. Hitachi is the same, right? Well, I had this on me. Do you know what I did? I hopped over that fence, took my big Caterpillar key, opened up that thing, started up that loader, smashed that gate through, and slept in my own bed that night. 
you can buy, I, I was thinking about that the other day and I went on Amazon, you can buy this full set that they, they put together for you with every key for every piece of equipment uh, for about $65. Wouldn't be a bad idea, right? When and how that would be a problem for you or how that, that could come about, you know, I, I know not everyone has the ability to run equipment like that, pretty simple in an emergency if you needed something to happen if you needed to block a road if you needed to get through a gate uh, if you need to liberate an ATM machine you know what whatever <laughs> whatever sky's the limit with a big excavator a big cat um, wouldn't be a bad idea to spend 65 bucks and have something like this on hand uh, in an emergency this would give you tremendous options so this is the sort of thing that I like to think about and and didn't share on the channel so Point being, with, with, the, with the robot video yesterday, yes, this is not a technical how-to thing. Obviously, it's obvious how to do these things. It is, is to, wake, wake, to wake people up. To wake people up that, you know what, things are, things are getting bad. And th things are getting bad. And it's, a, it's an insult to me, the amount of taxes that I've paid that have been squandered um, to, to fund projects, to fund foreign wars, to enrich people, uh, to kill good Americans that have entered into the military for the best, best possible intentions, only to be just used up and, and, to, and, and not valued, um, it is a personal offense to me. And I've had a belly full of it, to be honest with you. We have a super chat from, but thank you, Grape. Grape. Um, yeah, good comment. Overton says, uh, I started to upload to TikTok and was banned in an hour. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I, I learned, uh, yeah, they're draconian on the banning. You have to, uh, th th there's no gun. There's a no gun policy on TikTok. So as uh, long as you understand that, they have a zero tolerance policy. I've had uh, three videos taken down. I haven't been banned, but I've had three videos taken down, and I upload quite a few on there. I have coming up on 400,000 followers on TikTok uh, that I've built organically, not using this channel that I, I mentioned at one time when I first opened it, one time, and I've just uploaded over there just to see what I could do uh, just to build a channel from scratch organically, and I'm, I'm at uh, 400, I'm coming up on 400,000 basically subscribers so they're equivalent of there and I regularly get a million view videos out there I've got two I got a uh, in the last week I've got a video that went 2 million and a video that went 1.2 million on TikTok and that's may not sound like a big number on YouTube but that's a super big number on TikTok you know for for that type of content that I put up yeah I learned so the the, the videos that I got banned um, one was um it was a medical thing where I was showing, uh, I think it was how to t uh, taking a sliver out. Yeah, that got banned uh, because it was uh, medical, teaching someone how to do pra practice medicine. And the other one was, um, no, maybe it was only two. The other one was a drip torch. There was two with fire in them uh, where it was like how to start a fire or something and how to use a drip torch, forest service drip torch that got taken down because of explosives or fire or something. But yeah, as long as you you have to understand the framework that you that you need to operate in. Um, yeah, they don't, they don't. There's no gun. There's no gun content over there for for sure. Thank you, thank you, Overton. 
We have a super chat from, um, or a member message from Battle Chemist. Battle Chemist has been with us for one year. Battle Chemist writes, the little nickel was the wonderful Pacific Northwest rag that my late father got a lot of local deals for the family. Blessed are you and the whole family. The little nickel. The nickel ad. It was the nickel ads. The little nickel. Yeah, there were, there were little small regional versions of that. And then uh, the nickel ads. I don't think the nickel ads were only cars. I think the nickel ads were a general classified. But then when I was around, when I started kind of getting into cars in my teens or stuff, then, then the, a, a dedicated car ma magazine came on the line that was, that was uh, the Auto Trader. The auto, yeah, the auto trader, that's what it was. And that only listed vehicles, and that was better. Yep, the little nickel. <laughs> yep, yeah, that dates us, man. Boy, goodness. We, had, we have a super chat from our friend Andrew Rouse Lighthouse. Shout out to you, Andrew. I'll never uh, forget, oh, and $50. That's very generous of you. Thank you so much. Goodness. I'll never forget Andrew. I was saying Andrew Roos, and he said, no, it's Rouse like House. Those little... Uh, Little uh, tricks help me. When you have a when you were publicly educated, you know you need a little help from time to time. So those memory tricks definitely help. Uh, Andrew writes, "Good day, Wrangler Star. In all that's going on in today's world, what are you most afraid of?" I'm not afraid of any of it. I wear the armor of God, beloved. It is um, my default. Yeah, I, I get that. My default is to you start getting anxious. Especially, it's easy to get black pilled when you're seeing when you're seeing how evil. How much evil there is in the world. Not being an evil person, not being a dishonest person, not being um, um, a petty and vengeful person. It's hard for me to, to really comprehend that sort of thing, that those sorts of things happen, that there is true evil in the world, that there are people that are torturing and, and killing the innocent, you know, uh, among other things. It's hard to even imagine that, and you hear about it, but but when you start getting into the, you know, getting into the weeds, you start to realize, you know, this is this is actually happening. This is really going on. Um, it's easy to. You, you can get fearful because you realize how insignificant you are in the world, and it's further exasperated by how uh, we've been, our ability to to get together. Uh, and sh as men in organizations of group, and that's basically been killed off. Anything, any sort of, sort of an organization that men would have had in the past where they could have gotten together, you know, the whole German movement, I'm not advocating it at all. I'm just saying how it was, it all started in the beer halls. It all, it was a place that was old, exclusive for men where they got together and revolutions, that's how revolutions and, and great changes in history have developed by men getting together behind um, charismatic or, or strong leaders uh, to make changes, whether for good or for bad. So, and and the, the folks that are in the know, they, they understand this. So the cultural shift that has been foisted upon us, that any, anything that, that opportunity for men to get together in any way that where they could start communicating and talking and assembling to cause change, 
um, that, that's been taken away from us. There's nothing that you could, no business you could start or gym or anything that you could start that, you, that won't immediately be, uh, well, the women have to come in too. And once the women are introduced into it, then it can't happen. Because men, if you, if you want to, men behave a certain way when they're among other men, but you interject one woman in there, especially if there are unattached men, uh, that everything, the whole dichotomy is ruined and gone. I saw that firsthand at the fire department where we had a group of men that worked so well together. Extraordinary. And then as soon as women came into it, it, it all was destroyed. And the relationships were all destroyed. It just Women and men can't work together and coexist in that way. So that's all been by design. And, and your masculinity is under attack and your ability. You never have the ability where you, you could, to, could have something. It would have to be underground. It could not be public. And this is done on purpose. So to answer your question, Andrew... Um, I'm not af- afraid of any of it. I understand that's the default, and you can, you can read into this, all this evil, and, and you can get that way, but I put on the armor of God, and I know that the one that I serve is greater than the one of the world. And that's not to say that I'm not going to have my struggles and trials and difficulties, but though they slay me, I will serve him. What matters at any of this life um, as long as I'm set, I'm secure in the Father? that my fate is sealed, that when I'm in the ground, whether it be a sniper's bullet or whatever, poisoning or the food supply, that God is in charge and he is keeping track and he will avenge those that betrayed me. He will avenge, avenge those that spoke evil of me behind my back, that tried to undermine my health or my ability to, to, do, to spread the gospel or whatever it may be that I'm only one man here, I can only do so much, and that he's there to compensate for it. So I know the outcome, and I know I'm safe and secure with the armor of God, um, and nothing will happen outside of his will, that he wills it to happen anyway. So why should I worry about tomorrow? I will enjoy the day and go to sleep trusting in him. And that's the type of person that, that the powers that be are most afraid of. We have a super chat from Duster16. Shout out to you, Duster. Duster writes, have you seen the movie Run, Hide, Fight? If not, please bump it up on the watch watch list. Make sure Sweet Loaf is asleep first. Run, Hide, Fight. I've rejected Hollywood probably for the last decade or so. They don't produce anything of any value anymore. Um, If it's... I'm going to hold judgment on that, Duster. I'll look into it. Run, hide, fight. I'll go look into it. If it's decent, I'll give it a watch. We, thank you for that recommendation. It sounds interesting. Run, hide, fight. Yeah, boy, that's the, and that, it's going to be the, the MO here before long, I fear. We have a super chat from Northern Man. Shout out to you, Northern Man. Northern Man says, how one would get baptized without joining a local church? I tried to join a church, but it pushed me away from God with all the church dogma. Boy, I get that, brother. I get that. Well, let's go to the scriptures. What what does the scripture say? We have the story of the Ethiopian eunuch, right? I've shared that with you before. That's okay. We get new insights. God gives us new insights, and there's new people here, and you, you never know who's listening. Um. So what happened? So this, to give a time frame, so this was um, after, going off memory, after uh, Christ was crucified, resurrected, and the 
disciples, the remaining 11 disciples, uh, were spreading the gospel, was building the early church. And they were still, uh, they had not yet at that time been given the commission to, to spread the gospel or the, or the good news of, of the Jesus Christ, of the, of the Messiah, uh, outside of the Jewish people. But there were, so they were still operating in Jerusalem. Now there are a number of feasts that, were the, that the Israelites were required to come to uh, if they could uh, to celebrate, you know, the Passover and, and such. And there were also um, a lot of non-Jews that would come and participate in this. For some reason, there were some that came out of Ethiopia, and you've heard of the Ethiopian Jews and stuff, that, but there were from other countries that had become aware of the true knowledge of God, and they also came, pilgrimage, for these festivals, for these feasts. And we have this man that was the Ethiopian eunuch. Now, he, eunuch, he was a man uh, that was put over great authority of that country, um, I forget what it, whatever it was, but he had asked for leave from his master uh, to go into worship uh, in Jerusalem. So he was not of the, the tribes. He didn't have the knowledge. He didn't have the understanding. He had some means and all that, but he understood that the, the God of the Jews is the true God, and I'm going to follow it the best that I can. So he goes to Jerusalem, worships. I think he was on his way back. He was in his chariot, and they're on their, way, on their way back after the festivals, and he's reading from the prophet Isaiah. He must have had a scroll. This would have been before books. You know, and he's trying to understand, and he doesn't understand all of this because he's, he's an alien, but he, under, but, he does, but he knows that their God is real. So I think, was it Philip? I believe it was Philip. God, through some miracle of some sort, brings the two in contact and Philip comes alongside and realizes you know I don't know if they were traveling on the same road realizes that this this Ethiopian is reading from the prophet Isaiah and he says I thought that was very curious a foreign national like that, that that's the reading you know it even has a scroll because it would have been something that would have been reserved only for the most wealthy it would not have been something available to the common man he says so what are you reading there and do you understand what you're reading and the Ethiopian says something so interesting. He says, well, how can I unless I have a man to show me what it means? I'm doing the best I can, but I, I, I don't under, really understand what I'm reading. Well, to sum up the story, he falls in league with him and, and basically lays out the entire book for him and, and lay, lays out how what he's reading was the prophecy or the foretelling of the coming of the Messiah. And, and the Ethiopian receives it. You know, he understands he's had a guide that shows him. And immediately the Ethiopian, what's the first thing that he said once he became aware of, of the importance of baptism, of uh, surrendering, uh, confessing of sins, and all the things that, all that come along with, with the Christian requirements, he said to Philip, I believe it was, uh, look, there's water right there. What prevents me from being baptized? And, and Philip says, well... Uh, do you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? And he says, I do. He says, well, and I guess that's, that's, that's the requirement right there. And they went down there, and Philip baptized the Ethiopian. And it says he came out rejoicing, and he was probably very instrumental in the spreading of the good news into his land. When he had went back there, he was a man attached to a man of importance. He had some influence. He was able to share what he had experienced 
and who knows how many countless people were saved and the start of how the roots of Christianity started with that one chance of encounter between Philip and that, that Ethiopian. So there weren't, he didn't have to go and say so many Hail Marys. He didn't have to um, take a bunch of Bible classes with the pastor. He didn't have to follow or jump through any hoops. He just said, what prevents me from being baptized? And the apostle says, well, do you believe on the Lord Jesus? I do. Well, that, that was the requirement right there. And then also John the Baptist. People came, and what were the requirements? Did they have to jump through hoops? Did they have to sit through courses and classes? No, they, were, they, they came to him. They heard the word. They received it. They confessed their sins, and they were baptized uh, into the faith. So is that the idea? You know, I, I don't know, but, but that's the example. That's what we have. That's, that's the way it was done back in the day, you know, and God's way has always been a simple way. It's man that overcomplicates things. And gatekeepers at churches or organized religions, you know, they have to justify their existence and their paychecks and their salaries. <coughs> Not all. <coughs> but man has a tendency to overcomplicate the gospel. It seems to me. <coughs> it seems to me that if you believe in God, if you believe that that His He sent His Son to die on the cross for your sins, and you are ready and willing to confess your sins and to turn over a new you know, turn over those to God, that that qualifies you for baptism. Now, who can baptize? Who is it, who's appropriate? Does it have to be someone that's been ordained? Does it have to be someone that's been through seminary? Can a father baptize his children? You know, I don't know. Uh, I'm not real clear on that. Remember when Paul, on, his road, on the Damascus Road, when he was knocked off of his horse or donkey or mule, whatever it was he was riding, and, and God spoke to him through the audible voice, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It's hard to kick against the goats. Lord, Lord, who are you? I am Jesus Christ, to whom you persecuted. You know, we all know that story. Well, the men led him away. He couldn't see. God it put scales on his eyes. He had to be led away. And he sat in isolation for, was it three or four days? didn't eat or didn't drink. And God sent one of the elders of the church and, and he was baptized right there immediately. So my only, the only thing I'm not real clear on is who has the authority to do this. I don't have any question, I don't think there's any question that if you meet the criteria that, that we've laid out here, that that would qualify you for it. Um, the thing that you need to do is, is to prayfully and, and prayerfully go, go to your father and, and tell him that this is on your heart. This is something you realize that this is an important thing. It's, it, this is a symbolism of a new birth, of, of a death of the old man of sin that you've lived your entire life in a, a, re, a rebirth. It's, a, it's a, a rebirth, a spiritual rebirth into um, the new man, which is the Christian. And this is an important thing that needs to be done. I would pray... Uh, to bring someone into your life. And that's, I, 
a lot of these organized churches and religions, I get it, man, I'm not down with them either. But there are a lot of devout people, especially now, the ones that are truly, especially after COVID, that are true Christians that have went underground, that are meeting in one another's homes, that are no longer being part of these, these big organizations. And they're out there. I would, just add, just, I would pray that God would, would bring someone like this into your life. Just like he sent someone to Paul when Paul was in need of being baptized, he will send a man into your life um, that will be able to perform this for you. So I would put that on the top of my list for, for prayers, and I would, I would fast and pray about this. Um, fast and pray. Speaking of which, we are, we are going to be fasting. This whole, this whole thing got side-railed, or uh, put on the side after my, um, my, all my issues. So we're going to need to, I'm going to get with a middleman. We're going to pick a day, and we'll make that announcement um, this week, where what we're going to do is corporately here, we're going to pick a day in for four weeks, we're going to do, those of you who can participate, this is not a requirement. If you, don't, if you physically can't do this, don't do it. Uh, but if you have the means to do it, that we will be fasting um, once a week for 24 hours. So it'll be sunset to sunset, um, whichever day we choose. Drink a little bit of water, but we'll be fasting from, from food and that sort of thing. And the purpose of this is that this is a, um, this is a, this is, been given to us as a thing to do from Christ. Um, this helps you when you really have a need for something. Um, it helps you, the hunger um, and the sacrifice that comes from that helps to keep you focused on what it is that, that you want, that you are trying to, uh, that, you're, that you think that you need from the Father, whether that be someone, uh, a church family of like-minded people or someone that can that help you to, to, to participate or complete the baptism ritual or uh, it may be for our friends here you know I think we should be lifting up our friends like Spartan 219 who is in a bad situation that God will help him um, to get a vehicle uh, or, or a job or something to get him out of a, a desperate situation like that you know it, there's a lot of things I think we should be intentional of what it is um, and we're not, we don't need to make a big spectacle of it. You know, the process is simple. We'll go over it. I'll go over it again before we start. But when you fast, the instruction that we've been given is, is, is don't make a big spectacle of yourself. Don't even tell anyone that you're doing it. You don't need to do it. Um, one thing that Christ did, he re rebuked the Pharisees, the religious leaders of those days, because they made a big spectacle of themselves, because they would, wanted people to see how holy they were. So they would disfigure their faces, and they would um, be unkept, and wouldn't brush and comb their hair, and they would pour oil all over their head, and it's running down all over their clothing, and they're lamenting in the public hall, uh, in the par squares, and everyone knows, oh, look how holy he is. He's fasting, and he's praying. He must be very close to God. Jesus looked at those guys and he said, you know what? They have their reward. They're not getting a reward from my father. He doesn't see that. They're only doing that so they can get um, the attention or the admiration of, their, of the people around here. But God doesn't see that. When you fast, when you pray, you go into your closet. You go into a private area. Put some oil on your head. Kneel down. Acknowledge what you're doing. Ask your Heavenly Father, pray to Him the things that you want, whether that may be forgiveness, maybe it be something, a struggle or a personal ailment or a worry or financial issues or relationship issues, and, and you dedicate the 24 hours to Him in, in that, that you're making that sacrifice. And 
and incredible things w can come out of that. So there's great blessings. I, I, I used to do that more often. It's something that it's kind of I've, I've fallen away from that I'd like to get back to. So I'm going to get with the metal men. We'll pick a day and we'll do that. We'll do it for four weeks and you guys will be able to participate if you want to. We have a super chat. Oh, we have a super chat from um, Miroslav Mayer. Greetings from the Czech Republic. Always good to see the Czech Republic here. Mrs. W spent some time in the Czech Republic and said the people could not have been nicer. He says, greetings from the Czech Republic. By the way, PC application called BlueStack is what's for when you want to keep your privacy outside of TikTok, yet you want to use it. TT oh, that's interesting. I don't, I don't use PCs. Is there, a, is there a Mac option for that? I don't even own a PC. We have a super chat, but thank you for that. Um, boy, I'd like to know if there would be a, uh, an Apple option for that. We have a super chat from William Cordell, and member for one month. Shout out to you. He says, the world is turning into a real Jason Bourne situation. Yeah, it is. Isn't it surprising how many people are sleeping through it as well? I don't know how at this point you could not see it, not see the cities burning and, and the corruption and the grift and the and uh, everything that's going on to, to actually look it's 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 funny it's funny that actual there's still people that thinking they're looking to congress for a fix or the next voting cycle or the next election that that's going to fix it i quit voting last the last presidential election and i won't vote i, I won't have anything to do with it again I'm done. I had a huge knockdown drag out argument with my very patriotic patriotic and ex ex uh, military friend um about this. I told him my philosophy on that and it's like well what what's the point? Uh it's not uh votes are not being counted fairly. It's 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 not it's not uh it's not being done with integrity. It's not a it's not uh, so why participate in it? It's what, why participate in the charade? Just get your family, get your community ready for to, to be able to be reactive and to deal the best you can with whatever situation comes up. That's all we can do. We have a super chat from, um, or new member message from WRC. Shout out to you, WRC, who writes, Cody, thank you for the community you've built. Uh, I found it to be invaluable. I invite people to become members to keep the community growing. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you. And thank you for... Uh, for being a member for 31 months, 31 months. And Mr. Made in the 80s just renewed his membership to your member. Welcome. Welcome. Good to have you here. And Cody Bordeaux, a $5 super chat saying welcome back. Well, I sure appreciate that. I sure appreciate that. Good to see you back, Cody, as well. The fine name you have. All right, beloved. Those of you who are members, Look for that video um, of all the, the AR spec'd out stuff. We, I covered that uh, in, uh, at nauseum. So if you know, you know. Uh, that, I'll put that up for you guys, and uh, we'll see what else happens. See what else I can come up with. Oh, goodness. I'm not used to talking this much. Well, it looks like we have two more super chats. We have a super chat from Rolo Vaughn, who writes, Fasting in the springtime, virtue of necessity. Yeah, absolutely. The springtime, the time of rebirth, of revival, is there has not been a better time. 
I couldn't agree more. I think it's would be a good start for all of us. Let me have, let me see. I'd like to see in the, the in the chat. Give me sevens if you'd like to participate in this. Let's say we started it next week, 24 hour. Do it for four weeks. It'd be four four days in a month that we would fast for 24 hours. If you can't do 24 hours, you can do 12. There's, it, 24 hours is not that's not the rule. That's just an arbitrary number that I've set. You may miss a meal. That the you know that that counts as, as well. You know, it, there's a lot. It, it's not. There's no hard and fast rules to it. You know, I just like to take things to extreme. And we have a super chat from Miroslav Mayer who writes: Yes, BlueStack is available on Windows or Mac OS. BlueStack. Where's my pen? I keep a sharpie right here. If I don't write these things down, I forget it. So BlueStack must offer you some protection. I'm going to write that down right now. I thank you for that recommendation. This is gr great. BlueStack. Also got to check out that movie. Run, run, hide. I can find it. BlueStack for TikTok. Excellent. Great recommendation. Okay. Goodness, it's 2 o'clock. It's been two hours. I think that's it. Well, we have one more here. We'll finish up with Mr. Brian M. Good to see you here, Brian. Welcome back. Brian's been with us for a year. Video timed perfect. Time for the first time AR want to be like me. Yeah, yeah. And I, again, you know, I don't want to be so arrogant to say that I'm, I'm not the expert on this. But I am very detail-oriented. And one thing that I do have the ability to do is to go to the sources with good information, to find information. And I don't, when I was younger, I used to think that I could improve on the wheel or reinvent the wheel. I don't, I don't think that anymore. I'm going to go to people that wrote the book on the topic. Small arms solution, worked, you know, uh, School of the American Rifle. These guys, this is their whole life. This is all they do. They run courses. They teach. Uh, they've worked in the industry. They understand what we're trying to accomplish. What are we trying to accomplish here? We're trying to accomplish something that's no BS. Go to war 100% reliable, the mo most, as reliable as it can be with the best made, USA made parts of things that are designed to work together that we're not trying to figure something, trying to make things happen that have not happened before and just hoping, hope is not going to be our plan on these builds, but for a budget. I have, just, just to tell you what, where we're at up so far, I haven't figured it out, figured it out, but let's say, so we're $80 into the arrow lower, math online, I can't even believe I'm going there. We've got, now this is for the lower, what we're going to have into the lower receiver, $80 for that, um, $70 for buffer tube, castle nut, end plate, buffer, and buffer spring. So we're at 140, so we'll say 150 right there. Uh, we're $80 for a trigger. So what's that, 50? So two, 220 with a trigger, and that's a good trigger. And then the lower parts kit, 220, so another 60, 59, 220, so we're at 280. So we're at 
for the complete lower receiver. And that will be everything short of the stock. So let's give ourselves 40, let's buy, let's say we buy a UCTR. We can get that for about 40 bucks or so. So let's say we're, we're about 300, we're going to be about 300, 320 bucks, 10, 20 bucks for the lower receiver complete with a high quality trigger, all USA components, best buffer tube, best lower receiver, one of the best triggers, best lower parts group, all USA made Geisley, springs, detents, everything with a good detent safety for right around $300, 300, $320. So that's pretty, pretty good. That's good. That's good stuff. You know, no, no junk. Um, so what's left over, you know, the harder part's going to be the, the upper stuff. Our big, our big expenses where we need to spend our money as, where we, where we cannot compromise is barrel and bolt carrier group. That needs to be, that's the, the heart of the whole thing. That's the, that's the most important thing. And we also want to build something that's going to be portable, as portable and as, as um, usable in as many situations as possible, whether it be a vehicle, in your house, uh, or out. Or if you needed to hunt with it, per se, and you needed to take something at, at 200 yards, you know, to have to be able to do with that, you know. So all of that is going to come into. This is not. This is not going to be a cheap build. I'm not saying that. I'm not. This is not a garbage cheap build. This is going to be good, super, super, super good, at a fair, reasonable price with things that you know and trust. And building it yourself is important because you'll. It'll develop a lifelong interest an understanding of the tool that may become so important to you to be able to keep it in the fight, keep it, keep it running. And if you are a professional homeowner, you're going to enjoy this. It's, it's, one of, it's a very enjoyable hobby to get into. So what I'm thinking just off the cuff here for parts, if we're talking about the upper, we're not even getting into optics here yet. But I'm going to go with, um, as a general purpose, if you could only have one, I'm going to stick with that 14.5 barrel with a pinned and welded suppressor. Now there's a the 16-inch barrel. The minimum that's the minimum that we have to work with and deal with. But the workaround is is we can chop off an inch and a half of that by permanently attaching the flash hider, and that's done by you could do it yourself if you can weld and have the abilities. But drilling through it, a very neat little tidy weld on there, so it's no longer so it's affixed permanently. And that now that that's affixed permanently, that brings that out to that 16 inches, and you're good. So you pick up, you gain an inch and a half because even your 16, you know, it keeps that because it's threaded, you know, that barrel has to be that full 16. Then you still have to add on a suppressor. And that could be depending on what it is. If you're going to add like a four prong Surefire or three prong war comp, you know, that's going to be, those are over two, those are got to be over two inches. So that, you know, so being able to keep that 14.5 with the pin suppressor on it, suppressor, flash hider, excuse me, is going to be the way to go going to be the way to go on that. So barrel and bolt carrier group are going to be critical. So barrels, my baseline is going to be a Daniel Defense Cold Hammer Forge barrel. That's going to be in the running. Um, Geisley's now has their own, are doing their, old, their own Cold Hammer Forge barrels as well. Um, there's nothing wrong with a non-forged barrel. However, and actually a chrome line 
cold hammer forged barrels, they're, they're not the most accurate. You can get, you know, your, your button cuts and, you know, your, I, I, I'm not really into that real precision 5.56 stuff. The non-chrome line stuff is going to be more accurate, but we're talking about durability. That if you were in salt water, if you were out in the rain with it, you know, the chrome lining makes it very tough. And yes, it will be accurate enough, um, but it'll also be very durable and it'll last a long time. The cold hammer forged barrels last longer because the way that the molecules are structured and pounded together make them very durable and resistant to the constant heat cycles, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So that stuff will all need to be considered. And also, uh, a bolt carrier group is is critical. That's really the heartbeat of the whole thing, the BCG, the bolt carrier group, and how that's made. How that's made. So what I will con what I would consider would be the older Colts, of course, Daniel Defense. I think the best value, if we're going to be talking about best bang for the buck on this sort of thing, is going to be BCM, Bravo Company. Problem I have with Bravo Company is they don't pin their gas blocks on their barrels. And I know that's a very big point of contention, but I'm just uncomfortable with it. I don't, I just can't see it as a go-to-war gun without a pinned gas block. And th that's what I like about the Geisleys is because they pin and set screw both of them. It's bomb proof. And so I like something more like that. So we'll have to look into it, but we'll look at Geisley for barrels. We'll look at, uh, we won't rule out BCM. You know, BCM, we might not be able to, I was on their site the other day, we might not be able to build what we can get from BCM at that quality. Uh, their prices are so good on their uppers. So it may be, let's say, we, we, it could be that we decide, well, we're, we're going to go with a, with a Bravo Company upper and a 14.5. We can get it with a pin suppressor. We don't want to do it, our, or flash hider, excuse me. If we don't want to do it ourselves, there's no shame in that at all. If we can get a better deal, we're going to go for how we can get the best for the least amount of money. And then um, we could take that, we could take the handguard off, we could take it to a gunsmith, and for probably no more than 40, 40 bucks, 50 bucks or so, we could have that gas block pinned. I'm assuming, if that's possible. I, I'm not super up on the Bravo company. I haven't looked at them because I, that, that gas block issues, things that issue with, with me. And I also want to know what the port size is. Um, and then we'll also need to determine what's going to be the best buffer tube spring and you know, whether you're going to be doing, you know, running suppressed and that sort of thing. So there's a lot of things to talk about and to cover that we will geek out on this for, oh, there's no end to it, as if, I'm not, if I haven't alluded to that already. But that will be, we'll, 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 we won't punish you guys, uh, we'll just punish the members for that. 65 bucks, gentlemen. If you can run, if you can uh, pull a lever, wouldn't be a bad thing to have um, in your toolkit. We have a, a new member, Tim and Warner. Welcome, Tim. And. and our last super chat is from Louis Rago. He says, "Can someone send an Amazon link link for the machinery keys?" I'll tell you what. I'll I'll put up a short video of this. Uh, I'll do it right now. As soon as I shut the live stream down, I'll throw that up there. And give me a second, but I will put a link to those keys uh, in the subject heading, and I'll pin it to the top comment. So um, look for that. Louis, I'll do that for you. You got it. You made that happen. All right. Thank you, beloved. 
please keep us in your prayers. I don't know. You guys must have been praying for me. I got up this morning. I took my cold shower. I did my Wim Hof. Started back. I told you I started back at week one. I'm on day two. And um, I feel like I'm getting back in the saddle. And I appreciate your prayers. It's uh, made a big difference. I feel a lot better today. And uh, a lot happier. A lot more hopeful. So thank you for that, if that was you. May God bless you and your families. Please keep us in your prayers. We pray for you constantly. And we'll see you guys on tomorrow's live stream.